1: I'm Marie Biancuso, I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding, and today we've got a lot of facts to be clarifying about vaping and breastfeeding. I have with me today Dr. Lori Feldman-Winter. Dr. Feldman-Winter, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. For those of you who might not know her... Lori Feldman-Winter, MD, PhD, is a professor of pediatrics at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University in Camden, New Jersey. Dr. Feldman-Winter is recognized nationally and internationally for her work related to breastfeeding education programs and nutrition policies. She's the chair of the American Academy of Pediatrics, AAP, section on breastfeeding, member of the AAP Task Force on SIDS, AAP representative to the United States Breastfeeding Committee, and she served as faculty chair for the National Institute of Children's Health Quality, many of you know that as NICHQ, Best Fed Beginnings Project, and she's currently the co-chair for the National Action Partnerships of the Promotion of Safe Sleep Improvement and Innovation Network, that's the Naps In project. She is also a consultant to the CHAMPS project, Communities and Hospitals Advancing Maternity Practices, funded by Kellogg and Bauer Foundations, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mississippi, and directed by Boston Medical Center's Center for Health Equity, Education, and Research CHEER. So, Dr. Feldman-Winter, we are very happy to have you on the the show today. It happens that this has just about coincided with the fact that I've been doing the deep dive lately on smoking and breastfeeding because I'm preparing to give a course. And I thought, you know, I really haven't done the deep dive on this in a long time. I know that for many years when I was a young nurse, it was if you don't as if you smoke, you shouldn't breastfeed, end of story. And of course, that is no longer the case. But I realized that there is so much swirling around this. And of course, one of my questions was, okay, so now I know a little bit about the nicotine patch and so forth, but what about vaping? So I think maybe where we need to start is to start at the be- uh, at the beginning, which is... Uh, Many of you probably already know that inhaling or exhaling the vapor produced by an electronic cigarette or an e-cigarette or a similar device is what's known as vaping. So how common is this problem of vaping while breastfeeding?
2: So that's a great question. We don't actually have um, good data on the number of breastfeeding women who are currently vaping. But what we do know is um, evidence for how often women who are both pregnant and um, several months after delivery who are smoking, and that's about 10 to 11 percent of the US population, um, is smoking while pregnant. Um, and many, about half of those, are attempting to quit smoking by the use of vaping devices. So we can say probably half are smoking and, um, and trying to quit and then vaping as well. And what we do know is that about 7% of the U.S. population, and that's based on Um, a study from two of the states that was released in March of this year by the CDC. Um, So two of the states were collecting information using a survey that we call PRAMS, which is the Pregnancy Risk Assessment Monitoring System. Mm -hmm. So PRAMS data, we interview moms at about six weeks postpartum and asking about um, issues and concerns prenatally during pregnancy and then postpartum, um, including breastfeeding. Um, And using the PRAMS data in two states in Oklahoma and Texas, um, they were able to identify that 7% were vaping during pregnancy and about uh, 1.5% of those were vaping during the last month of pregnancy. So that accounts for about 60,000 vaping exposures um, given our U.S. uh, birth rate of about 3.95 million per year. What we also know is that um, many more women in the United States are breastfeeding. So if we kind of do the math and um, think about the fact that well over 80% of mothers initiate breastfeeding, and even as many as 58% continue to breastfeed to six months, um, we can say that the great majority of those that were vaping during pregnancy and in the um, few months, two to six months after delivery um, we 're also doing this while breastfeeding, um, so probably in the order of forty to fifty thousand
3: mm.
2: u s newborns um, were exposed to vaping um, products um, during breastfeeding. <gasps> We could probably
1: have another whole hour on just the motivations and methods that women use as related to the smoking issue. But uh, just briefly, it has been my clinical experience that when a woman is pregnant, she suddenly realizes that life is more than just about her, that she has to worry about this fetus and therefore the newborn. So uh, it has been my clinical experience that women do feel motivated to stop breastfeeding And it seems to me that the research literature bears that out as well.
2: Yeah, so we actually changed our um, opinions and um, with evidence and and our approach to guiding mothers about making decisions related to exposures of substances, whether it's tobacco or through vaping or marijuana or other things, um, as it relates to the decision to breastfeed. So, um, so when a mom is choosing to breastfeed, um, it, it comes with it many different considerations and motivations Mm -hmm. for why moms are making that choice. But a lot of it now has to do with the great information that's been shared about the overwhelming, um, health outcomes that can be realized through breastfeeding for the infant, for the later child and adult um, who was breastfed. And then for the mother themselves, um, there are also numerous um, positive health outcomes related to breastfeeding. So because of that, um, we have to think about the balance of risk versus benefits, Mm, and in doing so... Um, what we at the AAP have um, come to realize is that we recommend continuation of breastfeeding, but also recommend, um, coincident with that, strategies to reduce exposure. So whether it's through vaping or or otherwise, we re- we recommend breastfeeding and strategies to stop vaping, um, so as I'm, opposed to saying, don't breastfeed if you're vaping. Yes.
1: I'm inferring here that vaping has become, uh, I don't know if the word's popularized, but certainly if women realize that vaping is an option, that looks better than smoking a real cigarette. And so I presume that that's part of their motivation in wanting to stop. They realize that this is one of the options. Am I am I putting that together correctly?
2: Yes, and I think that that is one of the myths or misconceptions that hopefully will be debunked um, throughout this show today. I think that's a really important misconception. Um, and what we know is actually that nicotine levels via ba- vaping are actually comparable or sometimes higher ah. than those of tobacco um, used through cigarette smoking um, after about 15 puffs of vaping. Um, and then other products um, act- actually have even higher levels of nicotine exposure. So, so I think there's a presumption that um, all of the promotion and advertisement relating to vaping products as a method of smoking cessation um, is um, the presumption that it's not harmful and that it's actually a better choice. But in fact, um, what ends up happening is that women begin to vape um, in an effort to stop smoking and ultimately over half of those women end up doing both. Um, Mm -hmm. Many um, then, um, even if they're not doing both, continue to vape, but in vaping continue to expose um, their unborn newborns if they're pregnant and then babies through breastfeeding to the vaping products, um, particularly nicotine. Um, and then other products too, we don't really know what the effects are um, in terms of the oils and other chemicals that are contained to actually vape um, the products of nicotine or, or even if it's not nicotine, you know, even some of the oils that are aromatic um, or flavorful. Um, that don't contain nicotine may also contain carcinogens and other harms. So yes. while we we think that um, you know the tars and other carcinogens that we are um, well aware of, that are well recognized in smoking cigarettes, um, don't exist in vaping products or other products in vaping that you know we still have yet to study.
1: In preparation for this show, I was reading. Uh, an article by Primo and colleagues. And when they talked about the carcinogens, I found myself taking a step back and thinking, oh, wait a minute, I thought it was just this stuff that people were inhaling. And I I didn't realize that that, that would be part of it. And so uh, it sounds to me like you're saying, yes, those oils and other components can be carcinogens in and of themselves with or without the breastfeeding aspect here people are taking in
2: some harmful chemicals yes true and and in fact it's just another way to inhale so Ah. these substances are absorbed into the body through the lungs through inhalation Um, you know there's ways to ingest Toxins, there's by eating, there's ways to um, put oils on the skin and have things absorbed, you know, such as the nicotine patches that are used for smoking cessation, which delivers actually a lower dose of nicotine. But really what vaping is, is just another way to um, breathe in or inhale and then ultimately absorb the chemicals that are in the vaping fumes um, now that from the vaping that, products. Now that you
1: say <laughs> that, it makes total sense to me. But as you were, before that, I, w- I was just not thinking about it, as you mentioned, just like our skin or something that we eat or drink, there are different ways to take things in through the body. So what are some of the concerns with vaping as related to uh, breastfeeding?
2: So we know um, from a lot of studies that there are effects on the newborn um, after exposure to nicotine. Um, there's very clear um, indications that the heart rate is elevated, um, that mm-hmm. the nicotine is in fact um, absorbed, transferred in milk to the infant and can be measured, um, particularly the metabolite of nicotine, which is cotein can be measured. Oh. Um and and actually, what's sad is that whereas in a grownup, um, the nicotine actually uh, is removed and cleared from the body um, fairly quickly. It takes four times as long for the infant to clear nicotine than it does an adult. So whatever is absorbed in the um, breast milk and then um, uh, ingested, so that's a case of ingesting. Uh, if you will, nicotine, mm-hmm. um, but then also inhaling nicotine from the environmental um, smoke from the vaping device. So so really sure. the baby is exposed um, two ways, one via the nicotine that is present in the breast milk, but then also from the secondhand or environmental exposure. And, and, and so... And you- uh, actually, excuse me. Um, I want you to confirm this because this
1: is my understanding that there is no question but what the uh, the nicotine passes into the mother's milk with the e-cigarettes.
2: Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. In mm-hmm. fact... Um, Again, in addition to the limitation in the baby's ability to clear the nicotine, um, what we know also is that the milk serum concentration, which is often a calculation of how we determine that any substance or any chemical gets into human milk, Um, so there are chemicals that just don't pass into human milk, um, particularly those that are water-soluble just tend to not get into all the great fat that's concentrated in human milk. But um, for things that um, do pass, particularly things that are fat soluble, um, the milk serum concentration for nicotine is about three times. Um, so it seems for whatever reason to concentrate in human milk. And so, um, so that's potentially hazardous for the newborn. So in addition to um, the immediate effects of nicotine, um, we can look to the literature to really look at um, what the nicotine does to the mother who's trying to breastfeed. We know that nicotine impairs lactation in and of itself by disrupting mm, right. hormones mm-hmm. that are responsible for lactation as well as milk transfers. So, um, so a mom might actually make less milk, um, which is problematic for the baby in terms of growth and um, just sustainability um uh, so i think uh, you're saying
1: it's, it's not just it's not just the toxic effects it's also the effect on actual milk transfer and supply yes exactly yes exactly. okay hey everybody do not go away i'm Marie Viancuzo. <laughs> i'm here today with dr feldman winter and you can tell we have got a lot to say about vaping so don't go away we'll be right back after this short break
4: Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff?
5: Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements, or perhaps you need just a few sessions.
4: Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours.
5: You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process.
4: Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24 7, so staff can study at their own pace.
5: You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished.
4: Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish.
5: Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course.
4: Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works.
5: Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern time and 3 p.m. Pacific time on the voice America health and wellness channel. Was
0: your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you. And so would other mothers email radio at born to see if you can be Marie's next guest.
1: I'm Marie Biancuso, I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I have with me today Dr. Lori Feldman-Winter. Dr. Feldman-Winter is an expert on all things breastfeeding, but today she is specifically addressing uh, the practice of vaping. So before we went to break, you were talking about some of the concerns with vaping, and I stopped you because we needed to go to break, but I want to pick up where you left off and you were saying that it's not only uh the fact that the the uh chemicals get into the milk, it is that the the mother's uh, production and the baby's transfer also are affected so from there, can you pick up with uh with
2: concerns please sure so as I was saying um the vaping and nicotine that is absorbed in the mother's body affects her own breastfeeding and she may be more at risk, um, not only for low milk production, but even breastfeeding problems such as mastitis. Mm -hmm. In addition, the nicotine that's transferred through the mother's milk actually gets to the baby. And we know from research looking at tobacco smoking that nicotine in human milk kind of has a bad taste from the perspective of the baby and they consume less of the milk. So Mm -hmm. as we know, breast milk production is a supply and demand um, system. So if babies are taking less milk, then moms ultimately also will produce less milk and that whole feeds the whole cycle, which impairs the baby's ability to grow. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so that's a problem for the baby, but then even um, for the baby later, on um, what we know also from studies just on nicotine exposure itself that there are effects on the growth and development of that baby. There may be um, potentially effects on the baby's brain development. We know that there are both prenatal um, effects from nicotine so babies that are exposed in utero have an Uh, an effect on their brain development and their um, ability to do Mm -hmm. basic things such as breathe regularly. Also, um, it affects their lung growth um, and their size. Um, But even postnatally, all of these same effects may be true because um, infants are still um, growing, developing Developing. at a great Mm -hmm. rate. Yes. Um, And and finally, cancer. Um, We don't know. Um, really all the long-term effects, but we do know that nicotine um, causes um, problems in terms of rapidly dividing cells, Um, and so so that, uh, again, would pose that risk that babies might be at an increased risk of having cancer, having been exposed to vaping that contains nicotine.
1: And I am going to presume that the more vaping the mother does, the more deleterious effects are on the
2: infant or the That's fetus. So, so there's two ways to think about the degree of exposure. Um, one is the frequency of vaping events, um, but then the other is the product that they're using. Oh. So different products um, in vaping have different amounts or concentrations of nicotine, Um which is um, different in terms of cigarette smoking. Um, most cigarettes contain about the same amount of whatever products they contain okay. from cigarette to cigarette, but vaping products are very variable. Um, and in fact, the most commonly advertised product, like the Juul, um, has a very high concentration of nicotine, um, again, um, being promoted as a method of smoking cessation, which um, work sometimes but very often doesn't work okay so as the parent is picking out the product
1: that would be something that she should be uh cognizant of that the product could be different it's not just about frequency and also I guess I'm really ignorant on this because I can truly tell you I have never smoked but does the amount of um the depth of
2: inhalation does that matter So not really, Um, you know, I think that there's this, um, you know, old um, myth that, you know, you could smoke, but not inhale. But in right. fact, you know, we now know from all the evidence on secondhand and even thirdhand smoke. So, um, where we have a lot of families that tell us, "Oh, don't worry, we don't smoke inside the house; we smoke outside the house." So, oh. so the presumption that the smoking occurs, you know, in a different location, um, there's now good evidence that even having um, Smoked outside and in a different location, that there's still it's byproducts on the Absolutely. clothing and in the hair, and and again, cotinine levels are measurable. And wow. um, as and anyone an knows who
1: has ever been at a party, you come home and your hair and your clothes yep. smell like it. Uh, so yeah, that's that, that's why. So let's talk for a moment then about tobacco. Is vaping tobacco better than
2: smoking? And where's the evidence as related to that? Well, I think that's really what we've been talking about. Vaping tobacco is, in fact, um, the vaping of nicotine products. So so it's really a way that vaping is absorbed into the person doing the vaping into the bloodstream. And then um, if they're breastfeeding, that's really just another mechanism of exposing the infant really directly to nicotine. So, okay. so we, you know, used to think, and I, I think because um, ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, recommends nicotine replacement therapy, really in any form, to quit smoking. Um, many choose to use e-cigarettes or vaping um, as a mechanism to quit smoking. Um, but what we now know is that, in fact, the nicotine exposure may actually be higher. So so it's really important that we take a step back and think about other mechanisms to quit smoking, but then also to quit vaping, to quit using e-cigarettes, um, because um, we know that both have the same um, and concerning effects of nicotine exposure. So, non nicotine replacement um, pharmaceuticals are available, and also there are effective counseling strategies that oh, can yes. help oh, with yes. both smoking and vaping cessation.
1: You mentioned a minute ago about the different product. So, can you talk to us a little bit about how advertising plays a role in the mother's decision to vape or not vape while pregnant or breastfeeding?
2: Yeah, that that's a huge concern um, because for forever, really, as long as tobacco products have been around, the industry has selectively. Advertised in the populations that are most at risk, so those populations that are marginalized um, and potentially have, have less education are of lower socioeconomic status, non-white populations, um, and those that are starting to initiate smoking, smoking and vaping as youth. And so, um, as Philip Morris is quoted saying, uh, Today's teenager is tomorrow's potential regular customer. And so, you know, that's the kind of advertising that gets teenagers to think that vaping is okay. And by normalizing vaping as potentially safe, I shouldn't say even potentially, I think that the general presumption among adolescents is that vaping is safe and way safer than smoking cigarettes, that the advertisement is very effective. So there are um, too many teens that initiate vaping thinking that it's really not harmful. Um, And then through sort of the structural um, separations and disparities that we see in our country, those individuals are unable to quit and get the help that they need to quit um, so that they don't end up Becoming pregnant while vaping or breastfeeding Mm. while vaping.
1: You used a very interesting word here. You said normalizing, and I'm thinking that when I was young, we had, uh, oh, like the Joe Camel uh, advertisements that made uh, smoking look cool. Uh, As I understood it from my brother-in-law. Cigarettes were routinely put on the lunch tray of men who were in the army. Uh, all of that is just about helping people to think that this is what everybody else is doing. And it sounds like vaping is along the same lines. It's been advertised as it's an okay thing to do, and then people do it, and then more people do it, and so forth.
2: Exactly. And I, I think it's a testimony to where you find um, the industry and the um different um, establishments for where folks can go to actually vape in um, a social setting. So um, just like teenagers, um, if you do it alone by yourself, it's not so fun anymore. But if you're doing it (laughs) with other people (laughs) in a social setting, all of a sudden it's normalized and it seems okay. So you can see that um, just like menthol cigarettes are Um, targeted products to the populations in urban settings and African-Americans, and then they end up being their best customers um, with all the toxins associated with flavored cigarettes. We also see uh, the vaping establishments located in again, urban, low SES environments. We also see college campuses Mm. um, where there are many establishments to get college kids unknowingly um, hooked on vaping products. Uh, I know when my kids were in college, they had the assumption also incorrectly that vaping was not harmful, that um, this was something that was just a social um, activity that people engaged in that, you know, was way better than, quote, our generation, you know, that right. were engaged in what they thought were more harmful activities. So um, so really this misconception that this is really an okay thing and a safe thing to do is un- unfortunate.
1: I heard you talk about some groups. It seems to me groups that are most at risk for vaping. I heard the lower socioeconomic uh uh, status, folks, the college campuses. Were there others that came to your mind, or that I missed that you'd like to identify?
2: Yeah. So I, again, I think that um, when we think about using vaping products as a mechanism to um, have folks quit smoking as a as a method of smoking cessation. Um, the vape products are available and um, and affordable and uh, selectively advertised, whereas the things that may be more costly or maybe less quote covered by insurance um, companies, um, so maybe not as accessible to populations that might be covered through Medicaid. Are strategies such as um, counseling programs and um, therapists and other non nicotine modalities for smoking cessation. So, um, so yeah, I think it's really the most vulnerable, marginalized populations, and I think the AAP is really stepping up to think about how to address the structural disparities that um, are targeting. Um, the initiation continuation of smoking as well as vaping and exposure to other harmful substances.
1: I know that this is not necessarily what we planned to discuss today, but uh, we've got just a few minutes left here in this segment. Can you speak a little bit more about secondhand smoke?
2: Yeah, so secondhand smoke is really being in the environment where the byproducts of um, smoking cigarettes, but also through vaping, um, are inhaled um, and even ingested if the smoke um, is um, exposed to any food products that are ingested by infants um, or children, um, are taken in and then absorbed, and really all the same chemicals and toxins um, end up Causing effects in that child or um, infant, and and what we know, um, uh, you know, the most um, at risk situation is in infants where the secondhand smoke, not only um, smoking during pregnancy, but even secondhand smoke. Increases the risk of dying from yeah. sudden infant death syndrome. So that yeah. that's really the scariest um, effect of secondhand smoke. But then, all of the other effects that we know um, in adults from all the studies looking at um, smoking being related to cancer, lung disease, emphysema, and heart disease are true in. Um, having secondhand exposure. And again, as I mentioned earlier, there's even more studies now looking at thirdhand smoke. so um, so really getting smoke completely out of the environment is what's necessary.
1: In the minute or so we have left. Would you say that the risk of a baby dying of SIDS is equal, more or less with vaping as compared to smoking?
2: Well, we don't know. Um, what it is that causes the mm, good um, point. death from SIDS. Right. Um, but, but if we think that it's associated with nicotine, which um, interferes with the baby's brain's ability to respond to um, rising levels of carbon dioxide, so to take that next breath, if you will... Um, then we can say it's really comparable because the nicotine exposure, as I mentioned, may be the same or even higher than smoking cigarettes. So, mm, so we know the thought. greatest risk is in utero during pregnancy, but then there's that continued risk um, in being exposed um, after delivery or, or after. in the early Very postpartum scary. period. Yeah.
1: Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm here today with Dr. Lori Feldman-Winter. We will be right back.
4: Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff?
5: Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements, or perhaps you need just a few sessions.
4: Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours.
5: You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process.
4: Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24 7, so staff can study at their own pace.
5: You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished.
4: Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish.
5: Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course.
4: Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works.
5: Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount relationship issues anxious parenting challenges no more learn how to live your best life tune into straight talk with top psychotherapist relationship and anxiety expert sandra rich in this program you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions whether it's relationships
0: Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest.
1: Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm here today with Dr. Lori Feldman Winter. She's talking about vaping. So you mentioned in the first segment what we all think about when we think about substances and we think about breastfeeding, we think about, well, there are the risks and there are the benefits. And the benefits of breastfeeding are, I think at this stage of the game, pretty well established, everybody knows, I hope everybody knows that the benefits offered by breastfeeding are profound, both short-term and long-term. But if mother is smoking, in the old days, we used to just say, no, no, no you can't breastfeed. Now we're saying, well, sure, you can breastfeed. But then we've got people who are trying to quit before they're pregnant or they're pregnant and they're trying to quit before that their pregnancy is over or before they breastfeed. So I want to talk a little bit more about this risks and harms of vaping versus the benefits of breastfeeding as we counsel people because we know that tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., somebody is going to walk in our office and We're going to say, oh, so what should we be telling her? So, Dr. Feldman-Winter, what should we be telling her?
2: Well, I think the most important thing is that we support women's choice to breastfeed. Um, Because of everything that you just said, we recognize that um, there are so many health outcomes that are positive related to breastfeeding for the infant, for the child, later adult, and then the mother themselves. um, Tremendous benefits from breastfeeding. Um, what we can say is that, um, that there's good understanding. There's, I think, finally consensus that smoking cigarettes um, is a harmful thing to do for yourself, for those that are around you, um, that it can impair breastfeeding in and of itself. It, it makes breastfeeding more difficult. Um, and um, and it may actually impair the baby's ability to take milk and, and to feed adequately. And so breastfeeding is often difficult in a mother who's smoking. Nevertheless, we should still encourage a mother to continue to breastfeed, even if she chooses to continue to smoke, because we know that that could save the baby's life. The baby will actually have lower risk of dying from SIDS and a lower risk of having ear infections and lower respiratory tract infections. So, albeit a difficult challenge to continue to breastfeed while smoking, um, because smoking will impair um, the breastfeeding process in and of itself, we want to still be supportive to continue to breastfeed. So, So, beyond that, it's good to engage in conversation, really trusting conversations with families so that they tell us um, really what they're doing and how often they're doing it and how they're getting the products um, and the only way to do this effectively is really through uh, a counseling strategy using motivational interviewing which involves oh, yes. open-ended questions yes. and and really not being judgmental about it just Producing the evidence, um, yes. but producing that evidence when it's kind of in response to what you hear from your patients um, when they tell you something that's just incorrect or that's a misunderstanding and so so really asking what families know about vaping and what their likelihood is in um, engaging in in vaping exposures and and seeing what they um, may not happen in terms of misinformation. It's really important that we correct the misinformation that vaping is safer than smoking cigarettes uh, or that uh, vaping will help them to quit smoking um, because we know now from evidence that um, neither are true. And, and the only way to really get an understanding of what the families that we're treating know is to begin with those open-ended questions.
1: I have so many thoughts going through my mind here. I'm thinking that you mentioned motivational interviewing, and I'm scratching my brain here, but I believe that the authors were uh, uh, Miller and Rollnick. I have their book. I have read it, used it, loved it, and I would suggest it for anybody uh, who has not uh, encountered that. I, I posted a blog post on this a while ago on just Really having that conversation because how many times have I had parents say to me, Well, I know you'll disapprove, but, and that's so difficult because they know. That what they're doing isn't necessarily uh, what what I would recommend, but it's having that conversation, as you just said, and having those open-ended questions, and most importantly, being able to listen. It's it's not just the talking aspect, but the listening aspect. And yet, interestingly, I have a little tiny itty bitty. Uh, course, it's only like an hour or two on communication, but but people never want to do it because they think that they know everything and it's communicating and interviewing and motivational interviewing is actually, um, it's so important and yet sometimes we think we know how to do it. But it is, as you say, kind of that balance between accepting people where they're at but helping them to overcome their misinformation. So I want to go to the misinformation because that is the heart and soul of, of uh, this program, namely busting the myths. So what other myths do we have? Uh, You just uh, called out a couple, any others that we've missed uh, during this
2: hour? Yeah. So I I think, you know, it's important to identify moms believe that there are no harmful substances in vaping and that the um, products that are vaped and inhaled won't actually end up in the milk, then I think it is important that we, again, in a non-judgmental way, correct that misinformation and explain how these products are absorbed and then transferred into milk and, and that we know What we know about nicotine effects, we don't know about all of the other potentially absorbed uh, substances or toxins that are in the vaping products. And and that it's an open conversation that we can come back to, you know, in future visits when we find more information. And I think that having that ongoing dialogue, that's the beauty of primary care is to be able to you know, not have to do everything at that moment at that one time visit, but, you know, that we um, have this trusting, ongoing, continual relationship that we learn together.
1: if I'm your patient and I'm pregnant or breastfeeding, I'm going to ask you, okay, well, I hear what you're saying about the vaping, but would I be better off with
2: the nicotine patch? So if the... um, solution to smoking cessation is um, some nicotine replacement treatment, um, such as a patch versus vaping, I would probably opt for the patch and and use a a combined um, psychotherapy approach that allows for weaning of that patch. Absolutely. I think Mm -hmm. that that's um, definitely a good way to go. There are other non-nicotine containing products as well that are mm -hmm. effective. Um, yes, that are in the um, psychotropic category that um, have been useful so so there are um, several options, um, but I would say that you know you put all those options out on the table and figure out which ones are most likely yes no. most likely to be no. taken up by that family that person yeah okay so
1: supposing i say to you now look at you know i only smoke 7 cigarettes a day Uh, how would you react to that? Would you tell me how important it would be to have zero cigarettes per day? Would you suggest that I do some counseling or would you think that uh, that was not all that harmful? Where would you go with that? Because I get this sometimes of people who say, oh, look at Marie, I don't really smoke that much.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would try to get an understanding of what they think are the benefits and harms of smoking that seven cigarettes a day, you know, because part sure. of my questioning would be, well, if you only smoke seven cigarettes a day, why do any, you know, what is it that keeps you coming back for those seven cigarettes a day? Sure. And what do sure. you get out of it? You know, and, and, and why do you think you continue? And so I have a lot of patients that say they smoke because they use it almost as a um a method to decrease stress, you know, it relaxes them. And so some people think that it makes them more effective at parenting because it helps them relax or um, because of the psychological effects of the smoking. So we try to think about that in terms of their perceived benefits from smoking versus the potential risks that we talk about. And then think about other alternatives, you know, also what are some other ways that we can achieve the same outcome? stress release. I have to
1: remind myself that I do the same thing. I don't do it with smoking or cigarettes, but I do it with other stuff. You know, it's just what Mm -hmm. people do. They find a a thing that somehow makes them feel better in stressful situations. But at the same time, I think we need to all acknowledge here what we haven't actually said, which is
2: nicotine is addictive, correct? Correct. Yes. Uh So that's You know, part of why, I mean, I know the answer to the questions I ask. I just want to see what my patients say. Um, So, yeah, of course, they keep coming back for those seven cigarettes a day because they're addicted. But um, yeah, so I, you know, I think part of it is really recognizing that nicotine is addictive and that um, however it gets into the body, it's going to keep folks coming back for more. And that's, you know, why the advertising of nicotine products such as vaping are so harmful.
1: So we've talked a little bit about a few strategies, but I want to dig deeper into this because uh, you've mentioned counseling. Uh, I know that some people think, oh, it's just talk therapy. It doesn't really work. In your estimation, both from the research as well as your clinical experience, how how do you think that counseling works for quitting cigarettes?
2: Yeah, well, it depends on what kind of counseling we're talking about. Uh So, um, (laughs) you know, I think just um, talking with a friend may help, but may not help. You know, I think that what we're really talking about when we refer to counseling is effective cognitive behavioral therapy. That's probably the best researched, most well-established effective method of um, psychotherapy. is cognitive behavioral therapy. It's very structured, um, time-limited. Um, the good news I always tell patients when I refer for CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy is that they're not going to have to go forever, that they um, will get homework, but uh, if they do their homework and they are serious about engaging in the plans um, for behavioral therapy, then the quicker therapy will be and the more successful they'll be in the shorter... Um, they'll have to go. So, um, yeah, so I think um, CBT is certainly one of the approaches. Others, um, again, this is sort of personality-driven, may do better in groups. Mm -hmm. Um, Groups are great because there's some level of accountability. It's kind of like group exercise, um, you know, where you may not want to do it one day, but you have the group that holds you accountable and keeps you going. Um, So, it's about connecting with the group, not Everybody connects um, with groups. I think what there's a paucity of is um, groups of pregnant and breastfeeding women that are in group yes. smoking cessation or vaping cessation treatment. So it's hard to find groups, you know, that connect you at that similar level. You know, that's really um, what would be more effective is that we could really bring um, mothers together. Um, in our area, in New Jersey, we had... Um, a group that was really targeted towards mothers and families of young children to try to quit smoking. And, and really yes. the whole idea is that that connection um, of being a parent of a young baby, you know, Absolutely. was one of the things that really connected them. Yes. Yeah, because it's,
1: I've seen people that do well with, as you say, the um, the cognitive behavioral therapy on an individual level. Some people are not joiners. They don't want to do Weight Watchers. They don't want to do AA. They don't want to do things that are joiners, but they do better individually. And uh, and I think you're right. I think that just chatting on your back porch <laughs> might have some benefit. <laughs> but I mean, it does. It does have some benefit. And I think it's helpful to see that somebody else kicked the habit because then you feel like well, if she can do it, I can do it. So I think there is some value to that. But I think... I believe that really the the nuts and bolts of therapy is probably at that individual level. We have only about a minute but before we leave uh are there any parting thoughts that you have for our listeners before we leave today?
2: Yeah, uh, so I think that um moms make the best decisions that they can make. So, you know, I think that we have to trust moms in making those decisions. What we are obligated to do is to get a better understanding of what's helping to make those decisions and to correct the misinformation. I think that there, even among physicians um, in a study looking at physician's awareness of the potential harms of vaping. It was as much as 10% still didn't know that there were potential harms of vaping. So we have to educate our own. We have to be clear about the message and, and we have to be supportive of the moms to do the best they can do.
1: That message is so important. And it's one of the reasons why we were fortunate enough today to have Dr. Lori Feldman-Winter share her time and her expertise with us. I think we will all walk away from this feeling like we are much more informed. And the fact of the matter is that we can't make a good decision unless we have good information. And today we got some absolutely outstandingly fabulous information, very uh, evidence-based from Dr. Feldman-Winter. Uh, Dr. Feldman- Thank you for being with us today. You're very welcome. My pleasure. And for those of you who are wondering, yes, there is more. We will be next, back next week with more. And in the meanwhile, not on this topic, but on another as related to breastfeeding. And in the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week.